Hello, you're listening to Stark Contrast, a Game of Thrones podcast at Movie Fail. I'm Jay Rosenfield. I'm here with Soren Howe. And for the first time ever, I'm here with someone who isn't Soren Howe. <laughs> I'm here with Diego Crespo, Dego Waffles on Twitter, our good friend, a Game of Thrones watcher. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't say fan because I don't know where you're at uh, with the series these days, but I know you <laughs> do watch the show. I know that for sure. Thank you. Uh, it's actually at the Diego Crespo. I changed it. Oh, recently. that's right. I'm I'm trying something else out. But thank I you. That was, about that, that was the best introduction I've ever received. <laughs> so thank thank you thank you very much. Uh, can, can I can I say where I'm at with the show right now? Yeah, let's let's get your perspective so that we can orient ourselves in the in. Okay. In your uh, world. Also, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. This is like far and away the best Game of Thrones podcasts I Aww. think because everyone else kind of softballs it and you guys don't. Uh, well, I think it helps. No, that we, we don't. Look, you, We're not you, fans of the you show. You two don't put up with the shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've obviously the the road's been very rocky. Uh, rewatching a couple of the the seasons, not entirely, but like the highlights uh, leading up to this final season, I was like, man, we really underappreciated season one, didn't we? <laughs> uh, I didn't. I still think it's one of the best seasons of uh, television I've I, seen. I it's think it, overall it might it might totally be the best one but there's there's other stuff there's great stuff for sure uh but really I've kind of given up hope that this is going to end like in a thematically satisfying manner it mm. clearly just wants to be crowd pleasing right now and like I'm 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 not in it for the writing anymore the writing's it is what it is even tonight's episode which I'm about to praise heartily you know it's it is what it is and um I'm enjoying myself again, though. It, it's been a while, but I'm enjoying myself. All right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every, everything. Uh, well, you, uh, you've we've both. So the funny thing, just as a preface to this, the funny thing is we've both uh, Jay and I have both guested on Diego's podcast at various points, I think. Is that is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, that is 100 yeah. percent. accurate. So. Um, uh, it's it's fun it's fun to have you on here um so you already know this but yes i mean uh there's sometimes you'll just say something and jay will just say something back and it's like i feel like my soul's been ripped out of my body (laughs) (laughs) which is still only like an eighth as bad as your twitter account so i mean you know (laughs) well consider on my twitter account i have time to think about what i'm (laughs) very true yeah. <laughs> very true all right so this episode uh the long night how uh how are we feeling how we, this is this is miguel Spachek's first uh episode since season six i believe yeah yeah i yeah. mean it's good to have him back it's good to feel like there's a director on this show who is a director and who isn't just <laughs> like pointing a camera at actors as they read a script um which is kind of what it's been the past two weeks. Mm. <laughs> so just on a very baseline level, it's nice to feel like something is being made, like from a filmmaking perspective. It was so refreshing. Like I don't, I don't want to stir up a whole other thing right now. But I, you know, this weekend there was another big event thing, and I just came out feeling so defeated and deflated. <laughs> and then watching this, I was like, oh my god, filmmaking! <laughs> wow, there's like layers in this. There's like a depth of field. There's blocking what <laughs> and there's I was like just... visual ideas there's like images that have an intention to communicate something that isn't just like i said an actor reading exposition off a piece of paper 
Oh, it was it was very refreshing. I was very happy with that. <laughs> so with that, I'll make that clear. So I think not to. I don't want to steer the 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 discussion per se in one direction or the other, but I think it might be useful because the way I've sort of conceptualized the episode is in because it's ninety minutes long. It's essentially you know it is a film. I mean it's not, you know it's ninety minutes long of, mm. of, of television, um, and uh, it really does sort of divide into like a beginning, middle, and end, um, and. For me, anyway, just looking at you know my perspective on on how well this episode was pulled off, I thought the beginning was excellent, like really excellent. And um, when you talk about this, you know what what do you you know your your reaction to having a director <laughs> behind the camera? Not hmm. not to I don't want to you know the the, uh, <clears throat> the um, hyperbole is uh, always feels appropriate, but I you know the the other the other folks who have directed this uh, show are 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 real directors, but uh, it does feel yes I agree that there is uh, some thought to the filmmaking going on here it, it, more so in, than than we see in 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 previous episodes, um, but what I'll say is that from the first shot of this episode you immediately know that this is a different situation, immediately right what is yeah. the first shot of this episode mm-hmm. it's Sam's hands and he's just standing there like shivering. And immediately conveys without any words, and there actually really isn't any dialogue except for background, you know, shouting or whatever. Um, for I think I I calculated it was like a, a minute and a half. There's just nobody talking, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just this really powerful opener which conveys the tension of Winterfell um, and what's going on and and the anticipation of the battle uh, in a really I found a really compelling way. Uh, and then this carries all the way through. I would say the beginning goes all the way through like the first assault on the dead, which goes very badly for the Dothraki. Um, and I thought that that imagery was incredibly powerful. The fire swords are cool and all, but like when they go out, I thought that it justified the silliness of lighting a bunch of people's swords on fire for, you know, a cool effect. Um, I thought it was like, like <laughs> yeah. it actually had meaning. Like it wasn't just for that. It was to show, it was to do this thing they couldn't have done otherwise. Um, and I thought that that was really uh, clever. And I thought in particular, I liked how um, we actually don't see the, the dead army um, at first, right? They're just completely shrouded in black, um, which I think a lot of people complained about even at the beginning of this battle when it's obviously intentional. Um, but I, I thought that that was, uh, that was that was really compelling, and so you talk about um, using visual language there. Um, so so all of that was that was very good, and then we get into the plot, which we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, I mean, this op- the opening bit, the part that really gets me is like you say, this shot of Mel. I mean, <laughs> Melisandre shows up, which is a whole thing that we can get into her sort of sudden appearance, and then everything she does in this episode is. <laughs> kind of weird but it's worth it if nothing else for this one moment where they're watching from afar as the lights of the swords just one by one start to go out and that's an example that was the first moment where i was like oh like this is a filmmaker like i said that is a visual idea that communicates something just through image like potent imagery that all the lights going out one by one that's cool and it's like interesting to watch and that's Something that is rare on Game of Thrones. And the abstraction of the enemy, right? Without, you know, yeah. to, to, to turn them into this big amorphous blob of darkness. I thought that was really cool. 
yeah, uh, I think there was a lot of complaints about the the dark factor of this. Uh, like on the one hand, I saw someone tweet out like, clearly they never saw Hannibal, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, kind of. But um, I sure <laughs> I think HBO's streaming is also like really shitty sometimes. Oh, it's so, terrible. Like, really, yeah, so it compresses the images in a, in a way that doesn't flatter a lot of televisions. Like I don't have a great TV, but I saw it fine. Maybe I have like. My brightness too high too. I don't know. I, I, That's what I said. Yeah, I, I I saw everything like fine. I think it has to do with the brightness, but also I think there's like I was watching it on cable. I think a lot of people were probably watching it on like their laptops or on or streaming through HBO Go. And if you're streaming it, it is going to be a lot more compressed, and it's probably going to be a lot harder and, to see. And like famously, you know, um, bad compression hurts. Um, you have all this crush that happens in dark yep. scenes in. Um, <laughs> As anybody who, not that I would know any of this, but, you know, anybody who grew up uh, with, you know, bootleg movies off the street kind of thing, uh, dark scenes do not do well. Uh, the Lord of the Rings was very difficult to watch. I mean... Well, I never... <laughs> not that I would know anything Goodness. about that. But let me tell you, when yeah. it's, you know, 480p blown up to a, you know, it's, it doesn't look good. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, no, completely. And I think that that was... Uh, that, what I read that as was a lot of people don't have their TVs calibrated quite right. Or, you know, they were streaming, which is a perfectly legitimate way to watch, according to HBO, to watch this show um, or to watch any HBO show. Um, so really it's on them to not get that right. Um, but it was also kind of a bold move to make, you know, such a complex scene. And it is com- like, whether or not you liked the episode or didn't like the episode or whatever, like it is a feat, you know, um, it was apparently a 55 day shoot. Um, before we started the podcast, Jay pointed out this was a night shoot, which is even worse. So they had to do all these night shots. I mean, I'm sure some of it was done on... Well, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Maybe some of it was done sort of artificially at night, but um, maybe some of the inside shots and stuff. But most of it was... It seems to have been done actually at night. Um, so all of that's a, a feat, but it's a choice to make it all at, you know in the dark, um, which is... you know You're choreographing all these things and then saying, actually, we're going to hide or obscure a, a bunch of this. Um, so I have so, a revelation yeah. as I've, as I've clicked around as we're talking about this <laughs> and I've been looking at this, uh, episodes, Wikipedia page. This episode was uh, shot by a man named Fabian Wagner. Okay. Um, he is credited as the cinematographer of a film <laughs> called justice league. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, this is better than that movie. <laughs> It is it is significantly better than Justice League. <laughs> did we all, just did we all see of, Justice League? I I watched Justice League. I did not see Justice League. <laughs> I uh, we, we are the three. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> astonished because I, I don't. You, you two are probably the first people I've ever met who have actually seen the movie. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I mean, that movie was comprehensible in a way that I felt. I know we all have different opinions on. Or I assume we all have different opinions on Batman vs Superman, but I found that to be almost incomprehensible, and I found uh, Justice League as boring as it was. To at least I could follow what was going on. Um, I will say, so, not to know. get off on a tangent, but yeah, Justice League—the fact that Justice League looks like shit—is less down to the cinematographer than it is to the terrible CG in that movie. Yeah, I was gonna say it was it, the cinematography was not what stuck out to me about that film. Well, most things didn't stick out to me at all about that film, but the <laughs> cinematography wasn't didn't really strike me one way or the other. Um, is it, now is this cinematographer the same guy who's worked with Sapochnik before in Game of Thrones or or no? Um, he's done other episodes of Game of Thrones, but it just says yes. Actually, it is. He did the last 
Sapachi's last two episodes. Oh, okay, okay. So they've worked together before. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought it was, it was all fine. There wasn't as much fa- fancy camera work here as there was in like Battle of the Bastards. No, I'll, See, I will say I, that. that I, oh, no, go ahead, Diego. I, I thought there was uh, at first. I was kind of on the same wavelength there. I was like, this is impressive, but you know, like you have that shot where John's like stumbling through the horses in Battle oh, of the yeah. Bastards, and it's just like whoa, 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 and then you get like that version times ten with all the fantasy elements now towards the end of the episode yep. and it, like it starts picking up in a really different way there like it, it starts becoming like at first the action's a little incomprehensible but like intentionally it's trying to get like that that chaos of battle and mm-hmm. stuff like that uh maybe a little too chaotic i don't know uh, but then by the end it's just like it's throwing so much at you and you're following like all these nooks and crannies as john's like passing by people just like barely clinging on to life and he's like nope nope gotta gotta go get bran and it's uh there i was very impressed by by all that because that was like that must have been insane having to stage all that even though there's a lot of cg and everything you know no no i agree i think i think you're 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 right um i think uh you know one of the things is so for those of you out there who maybe get confused because i think we talk about this a lot Jay talks about this more than anybody, I think, but we all talk about it, which is this, oh boy. which is this, well, no, it's, but I mean, it's a good, it's a good point. It's something I've become more cognizant of because of you, actually. Um, something I didn't pay it as much, or I, I sort of, I, I didn't care as much about it. It's one of your big complaints with Marvel films and stuff, although I think it's misplaced often in most instances, but in general, I think it's a very good point. Mm-hmm. And it's a problem with Game of Thrones where um, the two approaches that, um, uh, and I think I may have talked about this in the past uh, to, you know, uh, on a very basic level, but like the two approaches that filmmakers tend to use, especially these days to communicate chaos are shaky cam. Um, so just sort of handheld running around with the camera and confusing the audience because it's just pointing all over the place um, or 4 million cuts to show the same thing, um, which can sometimes sort of make things seem a bit, you know, frenetic. Now these have their place. I mean, both of these are handheld is a completely legitimate thing to to use. I think we might disagree here. I think it was it was used well in like, for example, some of the Bourne films. Sometimes over the top, but in general, I think it was used quite well, especially in Bourne Ultimatum. Um, and I think that uh, and or Blair Witch Project or whatever. Um, and then uh, you know, quick cutting is a really efficient way to show certain things, like in um, uh, Requiem for a Dream. Right? It's the famous uh, uh, drug uh, heroin scenes are all these rapid cuts now it's not used to convey chaos <laughs> it's used to convey using drugs <laughs> so i mean let's think about you know, how we use this these techniques um uh, but uh, and and in the Bourne movies right it has a very specific context or in the blair witch project it has like a narrative purpose right there's people holding a camera and sort of telling a story that way um but there are other ways to convey chaos and i think actually what's cool about this episode is um it well, first of all, it doesn't use handhelds at all, it seems like. I think it's all, like, dolly shots or tripods or whatever. Um, and uh, the the other thing it uses is montage, which is something that very few films bother using these days, which I don't understand, because it's an extremely effective way of 
conveying the chaos of a situation that has been in use for like a hundred years in cinema. I mean, it's really, it's, it's the oldest thing you could do with a camera, which is to cut between <laughs> things that convey emotion uh, in order to both confuse the location of where things are spatially to each other intentionally and to uh, juxtapose two f- images so that you can generate some sort of emotion out of the audience or some sort of, yeah, some sort of feeling. Um and I think that this episode does that to some extent, um, but it certainly doesn't go the route of, you know, just confusing the audience by throwing the camera across the field, which I thought was, you know, faint praise. But I mean, I think that it's good that it didn't do that because I think it's very easily could have. You know, it's funny, like I I, I got this very, you know, a, fra- a phrase that nobody uses anymore, but that was very popular like six or seven years ago is chaos cinema. The idea, you know, I don't remember who coined it, but it was this critical uh, uh, thought that pertained to like the f- a filmmaker like Michael Bay, who does the exact thing you're talking about of like, everything is quick cuts and it's all close ups and it's shaky. So it's really hard to tell. It becomes almost abstract in how difficult it is to cr- like, get a coherent idea of what's going on. And some people are really into that in the films of Michael Bay. Like I personally i'm not but like i was <laughs> i respect like that perspective on his work i think it's interesting um and i got that a similar sense from the earlier the kind of the first half of this episode where it's all in close-up it's obviously very dark even though i could tell what was going on it's still you know hard to kind of someone would die and i would not know if that was a main character just <laughs> <laughs> because everything is cutting away so quickly and everyone is kind of this amorphous shape and it's you can't really see who's who or what's happening other than just violence is happening and really that's all you need to know and i think it is effective at communicating the idea that just people are are killing each other but is there actually um, shaky cam in those scenes or is it i don't think so i thought there was there? i mean there is there is definitely hand you brought up there wasn't handheld. There's definitely one example of handheld I can remember. It's in this opening tracking shot of Sam. There's definitely handheld because I remember the way the camera kind of bobs and it gets and you kind of feel his anxiety. Uh, okay, really cool. I guess I distinguish handheld. Maybe that's why we're it's we're just we're, we're referring to two different things. If you're holding um uh, what's it called like a gyroscope stabilizer thing, what, what's it called when you hold the the camera? So you have a. I think that's that's what I would call that. I don't know. Right, right, right. It's like one of those things. So basically, what it is for for those of you who haven't seen this, it's like a, a stand that you hold and you put the camera on it. And if you like move your hand around sort of wildly, the camera will stabilize itself to sort of it'll move, but it'll move really gently. You know, it sort of it, it counterbalances your your movements. Um, I don't feel like that is, I mean, it is handheld. It is definitely handheld, but it doesn't, it's not quite the same thing as when people are holding a camera and like doing what they do in like the Bourne films. It doesn't feel like anybody's stabilizing anything (laughs) in those instances. (laughs) Um, So I guess that's just, that's a distinguishing thing. So yes, for those of you out there who are like, obviously there were handheld shots in this film. Yeah. Okay. But you know, contextually what they were using and the equipment they were using, I think it's it's a bit different. Um, but yes, I agree. I agree in that. And I think that it works well in that initial scene because they're trying to convey the chaos of what the hell is happening. Who are these, you know, the dead are like this very abstract concept. And honestly, throughout this whole episode, even when we really get to see them, there's nothing particularly interesting about them, right? It's all just zombies. There's one giant, right? There's nothing special about yeah. this army. <laughs> um, even less so than the the Battle of the Wall. Um, oh, and a dragon, I guess. Um, but uh 
so so the way to but I think it's a good thing because you know people are like oh they didn't have ice spiders because they're supposed to have ice spiders because they said there would be ice spiders okay well but would giant ice spiders be as scary as like not being able to see what's happening you know what I mean like it's this element of the more you see it the less interesting or scary it is and I, you know I think that you know it's effectively conveyed in that way that's totally what my fear was going into this because one the night king stuff has been like they keep making people anticipate like the dead are coming winter's coming right and at a certain point we just stopped learning new information about them and it just became the threat of the dead and i was like i don't i was i was rooting for miguel sapochnik obviously like we all were uh, hashtag save us the Pochnik. <laughs> uh, and so i once the battle started i was like okay the the, the light's going out that's cool it's cool how are we gonna do this and then they just go full World War Z with, like, the tsunami of corpses piling over the foot soldiers. And I was like, okay, I, I feel less concerned about this. Like, I still don't know what the goal was in the long run of the Army of the Dead, uh, apart from just kill everyone. I suspect we'll literally but, never know. Nope. That's my fear, too. <laughs> and you know what? I, I've dealt with that. I'm I'm cool with being disappointed with it because... Just the way that they were able to like keep escalating the, like the, the tension mm. of, of characters and creatures that are not that interesting uh, is a testament to to the directing and like the the creative aspects of this episode, which we will also probably never see again in this series. So, say lovey, I, I enjoyed my time with that. With, with what? <laughs> with what specifically? Uh, the like. Okay, so when, when we see the the army of the dead first rise at the gates of Winterfell, it's like a tsunami of corpses, and I just didn't expect that. Like, I, I expected them to line up like regular foot soldiers, but that would be kind of boring. So thank God they started doing stuff like that. And then, then all the different ways, like Arya in the library, I thought was really like a fun diversion of tension, as opposed to like the onslaught going on outside, you know, and then... I would have liked to see ice spiders. I don't know. I like I like fantasy monsters. That would have been kind of interesting too. But just the different ways they kept implementing all these different like approaches to medieval zombies and the dragon. Uh, the dragon was kind of boring, but whatever. Uh, it, it just it kept me surprised, and I was worried about getting very bored for an hour and a half. Like, did you guys ever see Sons of Anarchy? No, I saw. I've seen a couple episodes of that. Okay, Sons of Anarchy is really bad. Uh, Jay, you're not you're not missing out at all, my friend. Um, but they had like I don't know, like maybe two dozen episodes that were like special ninety minutes events, and it's just like nothing happened ever. Yeah. And it, it, Game of Thrones at least did this one right. We'll see how they do for the next couple. But are they all ninety minutes from now on? They're all I, flirting with ninety minutes at least. I think. Okay. Oh boy. Um. Yeah, and they won't have a battle to fill it uh, from here on out. Well, maybe they will. I don't know. Um, so, which brings us to a fundamental truth, which we must get out of the way. Oh yeah. Which is that, <clears throat> as much as it pains me to say it, <laughs> Jay was right about everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, was. I got so mad. Uh, <laughs> Literally everything. I mean, it's actually astonishing. And uh, even I didn't think I would be so right. Uh, <laughs> just yeah, I, you know, the whole episode. I was like, there must be some other plan, or there's going to be some sort of twist, or like some army is going to show up from the south and 
kill them or something. You know, I don't know. Some sort of not kill the the White Walkers, but kill you know be a or they're going to def- sort of semi defeat the dead, but then they're going to have this other army to contend with, and it's all going to but it's going to be sort of headlined in this episode. Or but the whole episode is just to close out a storyline which was ostensibly the main and central <laughs> threat from literally the first episode first scene of the first episode of the show yeah it's really funny like looking at the arc of game of thrones in retrospect now it is so it's like a joke like it's structured like a joke this series <laughs> the whole the way that half the characters have spent the entirety of this series say, the real threat is the white walkers you all in your petty politics you don't understand what's out you know what's really coming for us all and now they they just like took care of it and there's three episodes left about petty politics. Like it's it's hilarious that it went down this way. Even though I love like how it was executed, it is so funny to me that like this is what it was all building to. That it was just something to kind of be written out of the way so they could get back to the other stuff that wasn't supposed to actually matter. It's like cosmic irony or something. The we Cersei, you know, and I have I hope that Cersei voices that opinion when they show up and they're like, all right, we like the <laughs> throne now. And she's like, so the dead, this existential threat that was affecting all of Westeros, you've dealt with that. You, you did. You dealt with that already. <laughs> and also just, can I just say, I mean, we are glossing over this point because I think we just have accepted it. You know, we've just sort of become inured to this, uh, mythos or this um, the logic of this world that was established literally last season <laughs> um, <laughs> but literally all someone had to do was okay first of all they just make stuff up this episode they just make things <laughs> up there's like a the white walkers control blizzards which are a thing and uh, no like the well, the Night King can withstand dragon fire for some reason. That was maybe the stupidest part of the whole episode. And you knew it was happening. You were like, obviously this is oh, happening. Oh no, yeah. But completely. you're just like, why? What makes that scene so like, like what elevates it from just dumb to like beautifully stupid is that the fact that the Night King emerges from the fire like smirking like an asshole. Yeah. Oh, like I all of a sudden that. he has a. All of a sudden, he has a personality. Like, what are you? What are you talking about? I thought he was just like a like an ice robot. To never now he's like doing being smug. Well, actually, you know what? To never have had him speak or ever like, I actually think it was a huge mistake. Right? Yeah. He was sort of scary so. from afar, but by never having him say anything or do like, I thought at some point we would get like he would say something to Bran, like maybe he had nothing to say to anyone else in the whole world, but to Bran ostensibly the the target of his entire endeavor for some reason, although that still, again, makes very little sense, is like, you know, that's the point where you would expect him to to, 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 to say, you know, we, we fought through many generations or something, or some sort of allusion to Bran's weird time travel abilities or something cool like that. To just, just add a little bit of mystique to their relationship so you can be like, that's like a, you know... And maybe he would even imply that he was going to return at some point or like that, you know, next time we'll, you know, we'll finish this or some sort of thing. And then you'd be like, oh, cool. Like not in this show, but like in the Game of Thrones world, 
this is this is sort of an eternal struggle or something that you could be you know some sort of little but it's just no he just looks at him and then gets stabbed with just a regular <laughs> dagger and explodes and then and then again <laughs> just to go back to what i said you know what i said last episode which is oh and you were right about the crypt as well i know we you'll talk about it but, but yeah but well, like that's true. last episode and people said this the night king is the most vulnerable person in that whole army is what we've learned and still decides to march straight into the center of danger. Granted, it looks like that they're winning and all the rest of it, but still an incredibly stupid move because all you need is one arrow with an obsidian edge to to hit him, and it's over. Like I, I don't know the whole. It's, it was a very Maybe weird like, choice. The night the night king really reveals him. Like we learn more about the night king in this episode than we ever have before, and the only thing we learn is that he's just dumb. Extremely dumb. <laughs> He's dumb to put himself at literally the front lines, put himself in danger for no reason. Uh, and he's dumb because after he emerges from the dragon fire, he smiles like he's a villain in like an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Like, <laughs> you you can't get me. You can't. I'm untouchable. <laughs> oh, that would be so awesome if that was a movie. Just Arnold Schwarzenegger versus the Night. This is going to have to pivot too because... I I know the next couple episodes, like I'm sure the next episode will be directed like beautifully too, but I like it, this just solidifies that I'm not going to like the ending. Yeah. And I, I'm happy to have spent good times and bad times in this universe, <laughs> but it's just like, man, what the fuck? Did anyone else think that like the Night King, because they changed actors after the oh, first yeah. appearance, like at Hard Home. Uh, this, this new guy like sucks. Oh yeah. Like, he's he's been horrible. I've, I've hated him since they stocky. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it, it, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like Richard Brake would have smirked, but maybe, maybe that wouldn't have even been his call. I don't know. He, that, that first one was really good, and this, this, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> even though this, is, this is worse for the show and for the series, but I, I'm, I'm glad this version's dead. I don't have to see. Him I, I'm choosing to blame the Davids for that smirk. I, I believe in my heart that that was in the script. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sure it was. That brings us to a, a, a little bit of an aside, but. Um, before we started this podcast, we tr- we tried to watch the behind the scenes, uh, beyond the episode or behind the episode or whatever it's called, and um, we thought, oh, we'll watch it. It's probably like two minutes long. We watched one for the first episode, um, just to hear what. Uh, wait, maybe Miguel Spachnik has some ideas about how the episode, uh, you know, how it was shot. You know, get some insight on the filmmaking side of things. Uh, so Jay and I made it about two minutes before we we're like, yeah, we're not. No, this is a complete waste. <laughs> they were literally just summarizing the episode, but Diego, for some reason, managed to steal himself and get through all eleven minutes of that uh, behind the scenes. So Diego, do you want to tell us what what uh, what you learned? <laughs> well, the Davids. It's very important that they open up every part of discussion with. It's important to show <laughs> this scene because it relates to these characters. And then they'll go on talking about like, well, we thought it'd be really cool, and it's just like, what? well, okay, um, but it, they don't tell you anything. I feel like I watched eleven minutes of nothing. Just the images of the show I just watched were like, oh yeah, I, I liked watching that episode. <laughs> there, there's. They're, they're, they have no insight to anything, and I'm sure they're fine people, uh, maybe even good to work with. They got Star Wars. Uh, I'm sure that trilogy will be bad, oh, too. Yeah. And well, Actually, you know what? Ryan Johnson's like in the room with them, so maybe he'll like, Is he really? slap their hands away. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they're all working together now for the next like decade or whatever. 
to be a fly on the wall to be a fly on the wall in that room to steal to steal a joke from uh i think it was hollywood handbook in a recent episode to be a to be a fly on the wall in that room and commit the first fly suicide (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's just uh but no yeah all, all they got uh from the episode was that they wanted to make this payoff feel like it was the culmination of the entire series, but there's still <laughs> three episode episodes three. left. So, <laughs> so why why would they do that? It didn't even about? succeed at that. We um, wanted we wanted it to be the culmination of the entire series with three hours and change to go. What's gonna <laughs> happen in those episodes? Oh my, I can't believe... I don't the, even know. The Davids are just hysterical to me as creators because I think it was Jeremy Manjo on Twitter who recent, like before the season started, he was like, it's going to be really fun to find out how two idiots think Game of Thrones should end. <laughs> oh God. That's, that's um, awful. But I, I think it's, 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 um, it's, uh, it's four and, it's four and a half hours left, isn't it? I, I think it adds up to that, yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a lot Must. of... Oh God. Oh my god! Yeah, that's 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 half of a normal season of Game of Thrones. Also, oh, when you put it like that, that that just sent a chill up my spine. I, that's very, <laughs> that's very true. Um, I realize uh, no one died this episode really. Like, right? Didn't it was like Ed. Well, let's run down. Ed. So Ed dies. Theon dies. No, Theon, right? Uh. The little Mormon girl dies. Okay, that doesn't matter. Uh, really horrifically. <laughs> yeah, another child death. They do love those. You hear her bones yeah. crunch. Yep. It's like, it's terrible. Yep. <laughs> but then also prove the point that all you need to do is stab even a giant, with, which makes this army a really unimposing army, except for that they can come back. But it requires the Night King to do that. Again, why is he doing that? I just... Bran is it's, immobile. It's... <laughs> Bran. Can we talk about Bran in this episode? Okay, Bran is f- funny as well, and I do want to talk about that. But like, literally, you have an army of people that you can just keep re-raising over and over and over again. Just have them bring the guy in a wheelchair to you. <laughs> Why do you march in with your most valued lieutenants, master strategist, Night King? Oh my god. Well, it's funny, the dragon glass is just incredible, because the way they depict it in this episode, it is like, like, they just scratch one of the dead, and he, like, collapses, and all his bones shatter. <laughs> like, he breaks into a million pieces. It is, it's like, it's not even, you have to use it as a weapon, it's like poison or something. I mean, that's what they set up. Yeah, I know, but just the way it's depicted, in this, like, the way that I thought it worked is, like, I know they set, maybe they set this up previously, but the way that I assumed it worked is like, you know, you, they can only be killed by dragon glass weapons, but you still have to like d- do what you would do to a normal person with that weapon. You still have to like grievously injure them, but they can just only be injured by that. I didn't realize that like they were allergic to dragon glass <laughs> and any contact with it will immediately oh, yeah. make them break apart. That's what they set up, but it doesn't raise the question on why they're swinging so wildly to try and fight all these dead people when they can just touch them. Yeah. It's not it's, a very well thought out know. magic system. Uh, it's no, no avatar. Nothing, it's about, no avatar. Th- nothing about this battle is well thought out from li- from either direction. Like, both of these armies, the strategy is crazy. (laughs) 
Well, the, the the living have absolutely no plan. They're like, we'll try and hold them off for long enough to brand to do something, and then maybe we can lure him into the. There's an amazing scene. There's an amazing. <laughs> there's so many amazingly funny scenes and bizarre scenes, and I, you know, I think there's limited amounts of what like Miguel Spachna could do, but like there's so much bizarre. There's a scene. Okay, let's put this. There's a scene where John flies his dragon to the Werewood, right? Is what's called the Werewood? Yeah. yeah. He flies to the yeah. Werewood and just sits there on the, the wall looking at Bran. And then it cuts away for a while. And then the front flank or the front of the, the vanguard is, is crushed and everyone's trying to retreat. And Grey Worm's freaking out. And they're like, oh, we've got to retreat, break the bridge over the trench, light the trench, light the trench. She can't see us, says Davos, looking at the sky because there's clouds. Um, and in the castle is a man on a dragon just staring at Bran. <laughs> and then he flies away. <laughs> and they have to wait for Melisandre to come and light the fucking... What is happening? Are you kidding me? Oh I couldn't God. believe what was happening as it was happening. I was like, John's right there. Why are you trying to signal to some random, to Daenerys, who's like 40 miles out? I guess that that was the plan, but John's not doing anything. And then John just flies off. Like if they had had both of them far away, that would have made perfect sense. Cause you'd be like, oh, they both can't see the signal. But John's there. He's at, he's at Winterfell. <laughs> oh my God. And then my Bran favorite. keeps becoming crows. And I don't know what the point of that is. I didn't get, I th- okay. I thought they were totally going to do a thing where like, Oh, because he, he we see him like send the crows past the Night King and through the battle and everything. And I was like, oh, that's going to come back somehow. That's going to be important. <laughs> and so that never came back in this episode. And then at the end of it, I was I tweet. I think I even tweeted out last night. Like, I guess we're just not going to talk about how Bran like sent off the crows. But I was like, are they going to set something else up? Like, is he does he see like some is the Night King some gun how, somehow survive? Is like the threat of the dead not over? And no, I don't. I don't believe that anymore. I think they just like did that for a scene transition, and it looks great. But like, what the what the fuck? Um, I don't know. I don't have a good place to insert this thought, but I do just want to say before we move on: Why does Theon and the Ironborn? Why are they armed ex- only with bows and arrows? Why? It's more dramatic. Why are they defending someone? They're defending someone just like outside. On level ground, they're not, like, up on the walls defending him. They're standing in a circle around Bran, and all they have are bows and arrows, and there's this hilarious shot where Theon looks, and he's like, oh, no, I ran out of arrows. And he starts hitting well, people with his bow. What did you think was going to happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and also this idea that you need to magically make your sword on fire, but, like, you don't, actually. You can just put oil on it and then light it on fire. So... It's not a permanent fix. It's not magic fire that will never go out. But like, if you're in a corner, it's a valid thing to do. That's what you're doing with the arrows. So just do that with your weapons. So like, if yeah, if they uh, if they had had um, uh, instead of just bows and arrows, also had like flaming weapons, that would have been a reasonable thing to expect. But I guess it would have confused people if they were both non-magical and magical flaming weapons. Um, yeah, but Bran, I mean, you know, there was this idea that maybe he would warg into the undead dragon maybe at the end when it was about to eat. That's what I thought was What was John doing? He... What was his plan there? Oh. Although I guess he figured I if he know. hits him, it'll just explode because, again, 
that's how Valerian Steel works. And also, how has that Undead Dragon not been hit with any Obsidian for the entire battle? Oh God, that's yeah, that's so ridiculous. Although I will say, and which is all, this is also like dumb and ridiculous and totally like, wouldn't this be awesome from the writers' room? But like when the the Undead Dragon had like half its face ripped off and the fire was going through it, yeah. even I was like. All right, that's kind of cool. I kind of yeah, like that cool. imagery. <laughs> yeah. like that. that was cool, but like, well, we, let's talk about the dragons. I, how does, uh, I mean, so, okay, I feel like I'm, I don't want to be cinema sensey about this, you know, like, well, that doesn't make sense. But, because um, <laughs> it's so, it's obnoxious. But like, the problem is, is that you set up the conflict to be based on like these weird logic rules, which you didn't need to set up ever. I, I don't know why they decided this was the way to go, right? There was, you could have done a thing where you outlasted the dead or the dead or the dead. You, you didn't outlast the dead. It was just like a, a chase. Like anyway, there's any a number of things that don't require you to set up a system where you kill one and all of the rest of them die. Right. That was a thing that the show decided to make so that they could make this battle wrap up. And it almost makes me feel like they were writing that episode. They were, they were writing this episode back then. And they were like, well, we can't figure out how to end that battle. So, why don't we just write in that if you kill a White Walker, all of the whites that it's raised will die? Oh, like that's brilliant, <laughs> yeah. David. I know. <laughs> um, Good job, David. But, yeah, thanks, David. But there's all these. So yeah. there's all these scenes, though. So I was thinking of. I don't. You. You both, I think, like Godzilla 2014 a lot. Um, I, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of it, but there's an amazing. I was actually listening to our podcast on that the other day. Really. I was just revisiting some of our old podcasts. Um, man, our audio was not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, things get better over time. Um, so uh, things get better with age, is what I should say. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but what I do really like is that amazing scene, you know, at the end where Godzilla beats bad guys. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the, the movie, but, like, it's a great scene, a very um, the light show, basically. It's very cool. And I thought there was so much opportunity for that kind of thing to happen in this episode. But there's all these scenes where, like, the, the live dragons are, like, grappling with the undead dragon. And the undead dragon's, like, breathing fire or whatever, blue fire, which is, I'm not even sure what it's supposed to be. Is it actual fire or is it, uh, it's unclear. But, um. It's bad guy fire. That's... It's bad guy fire. <laughs> yeah, like an avatar. Except an avatar, it means it's even hotter and more, you know, whatever. Um, as it is in real life. Um. But uh, uh, but why the, would the fire be hotter if it's an ice dragon? But that's, that's what I'm saying. I, the whole time I was like, blue fire is hotter. Why would this? This doesn't make any sense. But I guess it's like ice fire, which is oh, of course. Oh god, it's ice fire. It's um. So, but but so the live dragons are grappling with the dead dragon, and like put it. You know, they bite it and whatever, but don't breathe fire on it at any point in time. And I don't understand. Whereas the dead dragon's like, oh, I'm gonna try and burn my, you know former siblings but they're just they never breathe fire at any point on the dragon and i'm just like this is the time i would think to start breathing fire like the only time the dragons ever breathe fire is when daenerys specifically indicates now is the time to breathe fire it was really bizarre i thought that all the fight scenes with the dragons were like they looked cool although they were got a bit repetitive but like they didn't really amount to anything the problem with the dragon scenes for me is that this is the only moment where i can genuinely say that I didn't have any idea what was going on, and I think they wanted me or thought that I was supposed to have an idea of what was going on, because it's so dark and cloudy, and all the dragons look exactly the same, and you can't <laughs> tell who's riding them. And, like, one of them's breathing blue fire, I guess, but sometimes it's not, and they're all just, like, biting at each other, and I'm like, That's true. oh no, that one 
that one got hurt. Which one is that? Is it a good thing? <laughs> I can't tell. I agree. I, I was confusing. And I, yeah, you were supposed to, I think, get a little bit of that because they literally, there's that weird scene where John and Danny literally crash into each other. And the dragons are like flying yeah, through the trees. I didn't that. understand that. I rewatched that scene because I was like, you have the whole sky. How did you hit each other? <laughs> and also, you can hear each other. Oh, it's a blizzard. So it's hard. And also, like, why are you flying at tree level? The whole thing was very strange. But um, uh, I, I like these scenes in that I thought that it was cool that they were sort of in this abstract cloud background. It really looked like a fantasy cover. But, like, it did look cool. One of the ways to make that even cooler yeah. is to have, yeah, like, that was nice breathing red fire and breathing blue fire, you know, that sort of contrast, this ice and fire thing going on. And, like, they never do that because only the undead dragon ever breathes fire. It's very weird. Yeah, it would have made it just more comprehensible what was going on, too. Like, it, it, I I don't know. It, yeah, it looks... A lot of the stuff with the with kind of the rolling fog giving and kind of the, the way the light reflects off that is, I think, really cool. And, like, that's another example of, like, a filmmaker made this and th- had an idea for an image. Um, incredible. <laughs> Uh, and but yeah, just I don't know the dragon stuff. And again, this is an example like we talked about the first episode of this season of just like money on screen. Like, look at all the money we have. Uh, but I didn't know what was happening at any point. I think Sapochnik gets that John and Danny are idiots better than any <laughs> other director, <laughs> even or even like the showrunners, because just the way he frames them, like once uh. Once Daenerys sees like, the the Dothraki like just getting wiped out, you know she takes off and like messes up the plan. Actually, credit to the Dans or the Davids, I forget which ones. Um, that <laughs> they they actually noted that oh yeah she messes up the plan by by leaving first. So that's like one thing they're I think they are aware of it almost enough, but not quite. And so, so when Sapochnik's framing them like crashing into each other and like flailing around like idiots. Uh, or even like later when John's like in the field of corpses running towards the Night King, who he saw raise an army of the dead, like at Hardhome, you know, like <laughs> it's it's not it's not filmed like heroically. I don't think he starts getting surrounded by corpses that start crawling up and running towards him. It's like they're complete. He's complete. They're he, both he completely reactionary. That's for sure. That's yeah, true. yeah. That seems so amazing. I I, I kind of jived with that. That seems amazing because, yeah, it's this. Mo- First of all, he is not sneaking up on the Night King, who has his back turned. And, like, if he snuck up, maybe would have no idea he was even there. That's an idea. That's a plan that you could execute. Um, but yeah, that moment where John is like, oh, right, there's like bodies everywhere. And this guy can <laughs> bring bodies to life. <laughs> it's like he has this revelation. a testament to Sapochnik because like this obviously you know in hindsight was never going to happen but I was like wait are they because the the frame starts getting crowded with all the corpses and like they start surrounding John and I was like how awesome would it be if they're like here's our like traditional male fantasy protagonist and we just kill him like (laughs) brutally just like eviscerate him that would be so good OG Game of Thrones good, or at least like entertaining, you know. And Game then of like used everyone to do else stuff like, like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, good like, guys have the survivors. I mean, it just it doesn't happen anymore. That's in season yeah, and, six. season six. They and, decided that the good guys had to win all the time. Yeah. yeah. But but season six had had some highlights enough. Oh sure. That, anyways. Yeah. Uh, and then like the survivors here would have to like struggle to escape on like the few horses that they have, and like half the cast is wiped out here. 
like that's where I thought we were going, and then you know, the the Arya moment happens, and I I actually was like, hell yeah, even though <laughs> oh, it is yeah. ridiculous, but whatever. Let's talk about the Arya moment because I had I, that for that moment I forgot how I felt about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I had my I had both fists in the air. I was saying yes, <laughs> yes. That's amazing to visualize. I have to say, having recorded this show with you for years now. That is amazingly funny. To, to I never thought I would feel that way about Game of Thrones. I, I, like even when I even when I was into Game of Thrones, I was never like I would never have had that reaction. So the fact that it dragged it out of me at this point in the series is magical. Oh, it, it felt great. Just just feel like that level of excitement again. Yeah. You know, like this is one of the times when people say Game of Thrones is like cinematic. No, when Miguel Sapochnik directs Game of Thrones, it's cinematic. Like <laughs> this is something I would have wanted to see in a theater with a crowd. That would oh, have been just been like actually the best. Actually, now I can bring up something I, uh, he said in an interview. So uh, get, going back just to the behind the scenes uh, video you watched, just to be clear, Miguel Sapochnik never makes an appearance. Okay. No, no, he so not. these behind the scenes videos are not really videos to tell us about how the show was made or anything of that import. It's just for the Davids to repeat what happened and sort of summarize <laughs> it for us, just so everyone is aware. But if you'd like to actually read interviews with the director and things like that, they are a lot around online. And one of the things he talks about in one of these interviews is how he really wanted to make sure that you didn't see Arya approaching because then you would have known what was coming. And so he talks about how. Um, you know, how that scene was shot in a specific way so that the Arya moment is a, so that Arya sort of fades out of the narrative earlier on and then suddenly reappears here. Um, and in such a way that it doesn't feel out of character because you know Arya and all the rest of it. But so like he talks about this, how specifically how, how he, he had framed this and it works. I mean, it, it, he, he absolutely captures the scene and I, I didn't, I wasn't cheering, um, but <laughs> I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. I mean, I was like, it was cool, but it also immediately confirmed everything that we had thought was happening all at once. And I was like, I'm astonished that we're in this position right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things that I want to talk about. I mean, you know, uh, the Melisandre revelation is truly something else. The twist. <laughs> um, so we can talk about that one. Um, I agree, uh, Diego, the scene with Arya uh, dodging uh, the zombies in the um, uh, in Winterfell was really cool, a very Jurassic Park esque. Um, I thought the same yeah. thing. Yeah, it's the raptors in the kitchen. Every time kid, like, well, she's not a kid anymore, I guess, but like, anytime like kids are dodging like uh, imminent threat, everyone goes Jurassic Park. But it is, I mean, it is. It's cool. Um, I, I think it's cool that they included like because you we go into this thinking it's going to be a big battle, so I like that they have this break for this like stealth sequence. Um, yeah. And sort of like I this love... horror, like chase through a, you know, the, and she knows the, the building really well. So the, she knows the, the castle really well. So obviously cause she, that's where she grew up. So it's cool. To, it's like, that is a callback to like first season Aria and her, like, you know, navigating the tunnels and the, the hallways and stuff of Winterfell uh, in a way that's really subtle. Because like, how does she know where she's going? All that. Well, of course, she grew up here. It's like it makes perfect sense. Um, without you know what they tried to do in the first episode of the season, where they were like, it's just like the first episode of the whole series. Remember when there was a kid, and there's also a kid yeah. here, and we're in Winterfell. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> night and day. That's just poison to my ears. <laughs> 
Um, but the thing I, I, I so we, we'll talk about all that. But um, I, I, I want to just there was something that occurred to me before the episode started, and I couldn't have been more on the money for this particular observation, which is that the Dothraki have become. This is before the episode. I said to myself, the Dothraki have become a literal non-entity in this show. They have no characters. Yeah. There's this is a uh, let's be clear. Like th- this is a probably the group that has become most associated with. Game of Thrones. This is the group that was referenced in The Office, where they did like a whole Dothraki sort of thing. It's been, you know, there's, you know, college courses taught in Dothraki. It was supposed to be the Klingon of this, and there was this whole culture, and Khal Drogo was this iconic character, and now there's not a single character who is Dothraki, who has a speaking part or has said anything for the past, like, three seasons. And then they start this episode with the Dothraki, like, mass suiciding and it's just like <laughs> they were so integral to game of thrones and now they are literally nothing it's just amazing yeah, it's like it's 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 so strange because like you say like the dothraki used to be it was like one of the families you would follow in the early seasons it was like you know it was like the starks or the lannisters then there was the dothraki storyline in season one mostly but like even seasons two and three daenerys it's Daenerys and the Dothraki. Yeah. I mean, um, people call her Khaleesi still. It's still a thing that, like, in the show, but also in real so life, it's, like, so associated. <laughs> but, like, Khaleesi of what? And then they decided to promote characters from the Unsullied. Unsullied do not have a culture. Right? Yeah. They, have, there's, they are the least interesting people, and the fact that we haven't heard anything from any Unsullied except for Grey Worm makes perfect sense. But to not have any of the Dothraki ever be characters again is such a weird choice. Like, Jorah well, is the most Dothraki character on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's even weirder to like not just that they haven't been characters in several seasons but the way this episode does away with them all at once like it brushes them all off the table with a single sweep it, it's it is crazy like, it is yeah. kind of crazy yeah. yeah um i will say uh by the way we people are gonna be really mad now it just occurred to me uh jora died <laughs> oh, I didn't even yeah. mention him in my death. List. I know. <laughs> we're gonna be uh, like, Jorah died. How could you? Yeah. Well, anyway, he died. Um, and 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 Daenerys never even sent him feet pics. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> this this took a turn. Oh, oh, God. You know he was asking. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, I'll say this. Um, speaking of death scenes we were worried about, Theon's death scene was not as bad as I, uh, as you as you had sort of uh, thought it might be, I think. Um, he doesn't really get a redemption here. It's just sort of like confirmation. Like, he, he's he got his redemption already, and he doesn't get redeemed by protecting Bran. Well, he doesn't get to protect Bran at all. Um, he <laughs> charges at the Night King, which is a weird choice. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, at that point, I was like, oh, is he going to like take out a thing and stab the Night King now? Because that would just make him explode. And then Arya does it five seconds later. And I was like, see, Theon, if you just did that, it would be fine. Um, but, uh, but you know, he has this... I actually really like his moment with Bran where, you know, he says, you know, you're a good man and, you know, you did this whole thing and now you're home. And, like, that was... It's not redemption, right? Because he's already been redeemed. It's just, like, Bran confirming this point that he felt like and it's and it's good that it comes from Bran because Bran's the one who he, well, he ostensibly killed, although he, he didn't actually kill because he, uh, you know, uh, when he took Winterfell, he said he had killed the Stark children. Um, 
And so this it's actually quite a, a nice thing for, for Bran to have that moment with him, I, I thought. And I didn't think that it came off as sort of like yet another uh, redemption arc for, for Jamie. It is a nice moment. And it's I, I kind of thought that it would be brushed off in the same way the Dothraki were brushed off. Just because, like we were talking about last week, Theon got redeemed like two seasons ago at this point. Like a, a season and a half ago. So he's kind of been just in terms of how Game of Thrones tells stories, he's been kind of vestigial since then <laughs> in in the way that like Jamie got redeemed and then he was vestigial. So they had to make him be evil again for a little bit oh. <laughs> and then he got redeemed again. Yep. <laughs> um, which is why I also was thinking maybe Jamie would die, but I guess there's still time. Um, but no, no like, he's going to have to have his thing with Cersei, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he has to kill Cersei. Or, or like, maybe even have yeah. like a moment where he tells somebody else like, to, to repeat the Mad King scenario, but he's not the one who kills Daenerys or whoever it is. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But maybe he encourages it or who knows. But yeah, I think that's I think that's why they're saving him for King's Landing. Um, but yeah, like I I think the Theon moment it could have very easily been as brushed off as what happens to the Dothraki, just because he hasn't really been his narrative, his arc ended. Like it's it was over. And the only thing he had left to do was die, basically, because this is Game of Thrones. But yeah, it is a sweet moment. Bran, what Bran tells him earlier in the episode that it's like it, it doesn't matter. Not that it doesn't matter what you did, but that it brought you home. And that's what matters. And then when he says, you know, when Theon knows he's about to die and Bran says, you're a good man, like it's it's OK. Like that that was sweet. That was well executed. It's so touching I, I used to really like theon as a character like he's he, he became fine again stagnant but uh he just had such a like interesting dynamic with the show he's the one who bounced around like morally a lot mm-hmm. and then you know stopped bouncing around and just got tortured for a while and then got sad for a while i'm like i get it you know that was a lot to deal with but <laughs> he, he got boring but alfie allen was also really good i yeah. thought um and so i i will miss his presence in the show and it's just such a bummer that he got kind of nothing to do for a while, uh, aside from, like, rescuing his sister to not rescuing his sister to going back to rescuing his sister again. And it's just like... <laughs> but the, the line that Bran gives him, too, I think is a good reason why people are, are so interested and invested in these characters, where all these decisions that they made, every choice that these characters have made, brought them to the place that they were meant to be. That's a really profound, like, moment between these two people. And it's why it's also more disappointing that it doesn't feel that that line is actually representative of more characters. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that I, I think Theon got short shrift partially because he got roped into that interminable Ramsey Bolton storyline. And it just, yeah. He gets tortured for like a whole season. And, like there's an entire yeah, season of this show where they just season, every episode will cut back to him being tortured in a new way. Season four, season three, is it season? Yeah, it's around. I there. remember. Yeah, because that that was the red wedding one too. Yeah, season three, yeah. and then but I because uh... then he disappears for a season, and it's in season five that he's reek. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and there's all wow, this thing. That's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And that I, but I didn't find the Reek stuff good. Um anyway. Nope. So <laughs> nothing no, with no, Ramsey was good and it Which is again had to be rid of it. Which is again not the faults of Alfie Allen or um oh who plays Ramsey Bolton? But anyway. Awen Rian. Yes. Um they're both so Is so there? so um 
they're both great. Uh, I just think, yeah, underutilized. You know, this occurs to me now that we mentioned Ramsey. Has there been a really great villain on Game of Thrones? Like ever? Like if we're talking, if we're talking about like the Night King and Ramsey and Joffrey and I guess Cersei, although like she's a little more, she's so nuanced that I don't know if you can call her like a villain in the same way. I'm just trying to think if like there's been an antagonist character who's been like really good. A villain could be nuanced, but I thought I thought Joffrey was good, and I thought that Jamie was a Joffrey good- was good for a bit. I think he got a little bit much by the end. Yeah, perhaps a bit much. Um, yeah, but we didn't know what much was until we got to Rose and Bolton. Um, <laughs> That's true. But, <laughs> but Jamie's uh, Jamie, I thought was a great villain for the first season. He was fantastic. Jamie and Littlefinger. I didn't think of him that way, but that's true. And Littlefinger too. That's true. In the first season, like, oh, fuck, I the ones who, who pull off the whole, you know. And I thought yeah. it was really, you know, when when Jamie, um, that that's one of the best episodes. It's the one, it it's the episode that I always feel if you get to it in the first season, if you're watching Game of Thrones for the first time, you'll just end up watching the whole series because you just get sucked in. And that is, uh, the Lion and the Wolf, I think. Yeah. Where he, so. yeah, where he yeah, yeah, takes out great. Ned Stark in the in the center of that. It's like barely a fight, and it's so heartbreaking because you're like, no, Ned's a good guy, and then you have no idea what's you know coming and all that. And it's, <laughs> but like at that point, you're like, oh my god, this Jamie guy's ass, right? Um, and I just thought that was really, uh, I thought it was really compelling, and he was he made a good villain, sort of like a a more classical villain in that way. Um, and then yeah, the you know his arc goes on its own little over time um so uh so yeah i mean i guess i think there's been some good villains on the show and there's been some that have ramsey bolton could have been a fine villain they just you know didn't know when to stop and i don't know why <laughs> that's a good way of putting it i would love to see a behind the episode for those scenes and here we wanted to so show we really, the so Lannister count? we really wanted to show theon being tortured because you know he's really in pain and <laughs> And we thought it was important to show that he's <laughs> showing him screaming. <laughs> and in this episode, Theon's still being tortured. And we thought it was important to show Alfie Allen here. Alfie Allen's so great. I mean, you can really tell he's being tortured. Um, we wanted to sh- we wanted to put the camera on Theon because, you know, he's really being tortured. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, would, speaking of... Oh, would Tywin ahead. Lannister count as a villain really quick? Oh, oh my God! I can't believe that. Yes, absolutely. Tywin was great. Tywin yeah. was great. Amazing. I miss Tywin him was so much. Uh, yes. Uh, what's his name? Dance. Charles Dance. Charles Dance. If he didn't have one of the best death scenes on this show, man, I would. I would want him back. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to. Uh. Speaking of wolves. Uh. Ghost is in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I nearly died laughing when he shows up. Next to John, looking quite cool. Sure, and I'm oh, like, yeah. that's cool. Ghost hasn't been in this show for like two seasons, <laughs> and then he does nothing this episode. He doesn't even like come back as dead ghost. Like I thought that was the whole setup was like, oh, they're gonna do dead ghost, and that's gonna be sort of crazy for John. That's gonna be like a moment where he has to fight his dead own ghost. dire wolf. But like he's literally in the first <laughs> it shot, does sound and funny. Then he just isn't in the episode. Yeah, it's 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 incredible that they had the budget to do dragons and ghosts in one episode. That's just 
It's just the amount of money. That's that Sapochnik, man, for you. That's Sapochnik. I mean, he just <laughs> he can pull the, it he together. <laughs> um, he walks in, he bangs his fist on the desk. He's like, we're getting both. <laughs> I'm like, why is Ghost in this episode? It's so weird. It serves no Ghost is purpose. in this episode, so they so they don't think we forgot about Ghost, which they did for two seasons. <laughs> There's so many scenarios where Ghost would have been relevant, and they just don't. Like, just and we've talked about it in the past, but like, is Ghost alive anymore? And then we just said, eh, no, he must be dead. <laughs> and then like, he's just here. And then he like fights the undead for a half a second, and then we'd never see him again for the whole episode, even at the end. Right? Like, there's just no. So yeah. Yeah. It, it's totally ridiculous. Like, cause I don't want, I don't want to be like, well, I'm the books, but I'm going to be that guy right now. So like, <laughs> have that you know, the animals are supposed to like, yeah. <laughs> the animals have like that, that representative, like ideology of like the respective family. So obviously Daenerys has the three dragons and they're supposed to like represent like these different aspects of her family. And then the Starks have the dire wolves. And then in the show, they just consistently been written out and it's like, Oh, that's sad. It's like, yeah, no shit. It's sad. It's a dog dying. Of course it's sad. You know, but it doesn't, <laughs> mean anything <laughs> and in here i i thought i thought uh ghost runs off with the dothraki and they started dying i was as cool as that moment was like i talked about it, i was like they they did they just do that why well, can't tell if ghost like... is dead or, like i thought Jor- 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 was at the front lines but somehow comes back and like it's go- <laughs> is ghost alive i mean who, who knows ghost ghost will just show ghost up is again, in the i'm sure he is in the preview for next week i will say oh that, so. okay wow i don't know if that i'm happy or upset about I that just it means nothing it means literally nothing <sighs> like there's not gonna be a scene where ghost kills cersei or something or daenerys like it's just uh, you know or maybe i don't know maybe it will be ghost has no relationship with john is what kills me like you never see them interacting ghost never. is just always standing next to him <laughs> if he's there yeah exactly if he shows up at all um yeah i mean that could be a cool final shot of like john if john gets the throne i don't know what's gonna happen but he's on the throne and uh you know you have ghosts like sitting next to the throne that could like kind of like be a cool image i think that maybe is the only reason sure. they're keeping him around um but like <laughs> genuinely, I have no other like, and maybe a dragon behind him or something. Like I don't think it's, I think it's the end of the show. The dragon is poking its head through the window of the throne. Yeah, you like the like the end of Shrek, <laughs> right? Um, so <laughs> exactly like the I end hope of Shrek. they just cut to the end of Shrek at the end of this in the throne room. That's how the some <laughs> that would be incredible. Um, so for this scene, we were really inspired by this film. It's called Shrek. <laughs> It's from it's from a long time ago. Probably after you were born, but it's called or before you were born. It's called, it's called Shrek. It came out in S H R E K. Write that down. Um, I actually love Shrek, but anyway. Um, oh, who doesn't love Shrek? What? Who doesn't love Shrek? Actually, a shocking number of people actually don't like Shrek. Oh, come on! I know exactly. I love You're Shrek. cowards. Exactly. Shrek's great. Um, so yeah, can we talk about Melisandre? And the, by the way, th- just uh, oh, on man. this point and on Arya killing the Night King, I think both of those must be things George R. R. Martin told them are things in the book. I have to assume because there's such big twists that I it seems like that's the only explanation. Um, but f- it, it's too good for them to have come up with. Themselves. Also, it's it's also too weird. And from what I've what I've read in the like online, people are like people have had this this hypothesis for some time. But they were like, well, it's technically impossible in the books, but it's not impossible in the show. Um, 
which I find hilarious because if he gave them the thing, then it is going to have to somehow work in the book. Even though, yeah. Anyway, but I haven't read the book, so I couldn't tell you. All I know is that uh, it is in the show. Well, the so. Night King is the Night King is not a character in the books. It's worth mentioning. And this is funny, you know. It is you you alluded to this a minute ago, but we have not talked about the books in so long, just because they haven't been relevant. But I remember I have this vivid memory of us when the Night King first shows up of us reading the HBO summary that refers to that character as the Night King and me being like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing that because that's not in the books. The Night King is like a myth from like thousands of years ago that they tell the kids. It's like, oh, and the Night King is the leader of the White Walkers. Right. and The Night's King. You know, right? he's, I think it is the Night's King because the whole thing is yeah. he was like, a, he was the commander of the Night's right. Watch and he married a White Walker or something. And I don't really remember, but like it's a, it's a legend. It's not like a character in the book. So the, that they adapted that into being like the main villain is well, kind of is he the strange? main villain? Because the show's not over yet. <laughs> a villain, excuse me. <laughs> also to personify you know, this undead threat in one person was probably a mistake in retrospect. It kind of takes away, like, the poignancy of, like, yeah. oh, we're fighting death itself. Get yeah. it? It's a metaphor, but it's also literal. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, you know, no, we're fighting just a guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and they've literally defeated death, but, you know, Cersei's still there. And, uh, <laughs> they've defeated death! <laughs> Three episodes to go. Let's go. Four and a half hours. Where do you? Where do you even go? Um, I don't understand. But yeah. So, oh, but this idea that that Melisandre is apparently also Jack and Hagar and also Sirio, um, apparently doesn't it doesn't really fit in the books. But I have to imagine this is a George R. R. Martin thing, so I don't really understand how it's supposed to work. What did you guys think of this revelation? Because I was confused. see that's that's interesting. The only thing I took from that is just that she is magical and she knows that that sentence was said to Arya? Oh, no, no, no. That's that's all I took from that. I, I would be... Or, I don't... I, but now you have me thinking, now I don't know. Diego, <laughs> you're yeah, a tiebreaker. I, I didn't... I didn't... No, I don't know either anymore because I didn't put that together, but I might just be an idiot. So, I don't know. Uh, at first, I was like, oh, De- Deus Ex Melisandre? Okay. Yeah. It, there's some great visuals with it. That's all I'm here for this show for anyways now. I'm cool with that. Um, but with that in mind, I I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think you might have won me over. I, I, I'm, it was uh, not like my theory. It feels I, like the kind I of thing. heard that, and I was like, did they really just do that as a storyline in this episode? And then I looked it up online afterwards to see if, like, maybe I wasn't getting it. And there's all these things that are like, yep, Melisandre was Serio. Yep, they're the same person. That's so stupid. Yeah. Why would that be the case? <laughs> yeah, I was like, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And is also... Melisandre Jack meets Arya in season three and, like, has a reaction. Like, they meet, presumably for the first time. Well, And Melisandre meets, reacts she, she as though... She meets Jack and Hagar as well, but, you know, if... But Melisandre has that specific reaction where she's like scared of Arya because of all the people she's going to kill in the future. Yeah. So what? If that's the huh. case, I I don't know about that. <laughs> that is that would be a choice. I mean, look, I can I can I'll quickly check again and make sure you y'all talk amongst yourselves. But I I'm telling you, I, this is how I read it, and then I was like, that's silly, and maybe I misunderstood it. But this is what like a bunch of articles are talking about. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, I 
I don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that either. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, again, they just had their characters defeat death. So, like, it's up in the air. Uh, I'm, I, I don't I don't see the benefit <laughs> of, of having Melisandre be multiple characters. Uh, although I will say, I did like the theory about Sirio Forel being Jack and Agar. That makes I, I always kind of like that one. Yeah, yeah, I'd be down yeah. For that. Uh, um, but also, doesn't she come from Asai, like Essos? Yeah. So, and then so did Jack Nagar and Sirio Forel. So then I have to imagine that what do we say to the God of Death is like a common phrase over there. That's possible. That that would be. I would be more uh, keen to take that as what's going on. Um, and just and Arya obviously takes deeper meaning from that than maybe Melisandre intended. But also yeah, maybe lo- Melisandre, like, you know, she's, her magic, the extent of her magic is kind of vague. She just seems to know everything that's ever going to happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Which which is kind of boring, but I will say there's a moment where she's trying to light the fire and it just wasn't working. <laughs> I was like, oh, are they going there? Like, her, like, something is going to break her faith the moment she gets torn apart by, like, zombies. That would be like, great. Oh, that would be so right? dark. Oh, it would be super dark. I mean, like, people get fucked up in this episode, but, like, that one, that one would have been a bit much, especially because of the show's history of violence against women, you know? Maybe yeah. Maybe I'm glad that didn't happen after all. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but then there's, like, oh, Beric Dondarrion dies, and it looks like she's having a moment of, like, a, like a, a crisis of faith where she's like, he was brought back for a purpose, and now he's dead. And it's like, yes, more, more. Keep going there. <laughs> this is, that, that's what I want to see. I want to see these people, like, deal with conflicting feelings, not just, like, we have to stop the White Walkers and also Cersei. Yeah, I mean, her faith is kind of not, de- it's not, her whole thing was that there was a prophecy and Azor High was going to be, like, that's, she seems to have completely, af- after, let's not forget, she encouraged Stannis Baratheon to murder his wife and child in pursuit of uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy. At this point, she seems to have decided that that prophecy is not going to happen. <laughs> um, and she is just there, I guess, to help Arya, because Arya is the one who's going to kill the Night King. And that's why Beric kept getting brought back, because he had his purpose was to save Arya from the... Which, by the way, one of the best moments in the episode is when he fucking overhand throws his sword into the into the zombie like he's in a hitman game just like takes it over his head and chucks it that was great (laughs) he's a character who's like he was just the right amount of like perfect supporting character to be like yeah he's a nice guy i don't know what what his his real purpose is but you know he's he's got a likable presence you know yeah and then obviously there's that that episode beyond the wall which is just like atrocious (laughs) and uh and when they filled up that episode with like all those kind of characters and they only killed off one of them, I was like, wow, what a missed opportunity. And here, even though they had the same kind of setup, this is obviously a way better episode and not nearly as many people died as I think people thought there might have been. Uh, but I find myself being okay with that oddly for now. Any Anything can happen. Like later we can go on and I'll just talk about how uh, in my tweets, like, that was pointless. None of these people needed to be here. Like, you know, like I like Pod. Oh yeah. Podrick, but what what's he what what's what's his purpose? He's still part of like a noble house, technically. 
So I guess he can't die because everyone from Noble Houses is just going to live forever. <laughs> that is the thing. The way that everyone, the deaths in this episode are all characters who are like, not who are unlikable, but who maybe if you're running this show, you assume that people don't really care about. Like you can give Barrack a cool moment, but like nobody's going to be sad that Barrack is dead. I don't think anyone if Jorah Mormont is your favorite character on Game of Thrones, please write in because I need to talk to you. Um, I, I, I like Jorah, but he's nowhere near my favorite. Yeah, uh, he, he's he should have died a long time ago, probably. Yeah, I mean, they keep they keep bringing him back like they keep banishing him for literally banishing him from the show and they keep bringing him back <laughs> every season. No, I, I do admire Jorah's, uh, I admire his persistence. <laughs> um, and I think it's really funny that he, uh, like, like I said, dies, uh, just completely devoted to Daenerys and she is returning absolutely nothing. That's amusing to me. Although I will say the, the scene where he dies and she's crying over him. I've been having issues with Amelia Clark's performance the last two seasons, mm. but I thought she was she was good there. I yeah. thought she was quite good. She sells and that. I, I think it the way they're cutting around her performance might have been <laughs> a thing too. But like, I don't know. Maybe it's just Sapochnik's got the touch. Where like, obviously, there's all this like dumb nonsense we're complaining about. But I really liked the episode, anyways, and I I just want to hold on to this feeling because I I left the episode on cloud nine. Me and too. I don't know if I'm ever gonna get that again. Yeah, seriously. Like I with these last three episodes, if they if these last three episodes deliver one moment that is as good as Arya, and even the, I, the moment it's funny because the moment you start to think about that, obviously it all falls apart because uh, the Night King is standing in the middle of the courtyard, so I don't know where she's jumping from. <laughs> She's just, she just falls out of the sky, but it's cool. It's awesome. It's so cool. And it had me literally shouting in my living room. Like, and if this, this show delivers one more moment, like, like I have that reaction to stuff so rarely, like there's so much, there's so many movies and so many TV shows that I love, but so rarely do I have a moment where I'm like pumping my fist and saying, yeah, hell yeah. You know what? Um, all right. Sorry, I've just returned from the other side. <laughs> Hello. Um, first, let me just say that I am far from the only one who thought this, and has, you know, I'm in the Game of Thrones sub- subreddit. That's right. I'm deep in it, guys. And uh, <laughs> wow, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, they said there's a bunch of people in Melisandre's jacket and all this stuff. It, it makes no sense, but this is what they said. And then they claim, they claim that uh, she says something without her lips moving the way that, but I just rewatched the scene three times, so I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> just like Jack does. And I was like, okay. Um, so I don't know what's happening. But anyway, feel free to correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. I just, that was, that's how I, that's how at first I was like, they didn't, and they play the music too when she says this, right? She's like, they play like the Game of Thrones, like, um, it's not the theme, but like one of the theme tunes. Um, to like be like revelation time. Oh, Melisandre. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that whole thing was quite uh didn't didn't really make uh, much sense. Um, what were you guys talking about? I missed out entirely on most of that, but that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. To- I'm glad. You actually, as if as as long as we're uh gonna transition into a new topic, I'm glad you brought up the music in this episode because oh. I think Ramin Jawadi 
is the MVP of this episode. He yes. kills it. Uh, the music is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, I, you know, it was different. Um, it wasn't like usual tunes. Um, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as enamored of it as I've been of his other work. I, I know that's maybe sounds sacrilegious, but I just, I thought it was fine. It was, it was good. It um, is. But I just, yeah. it was just, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I was also uh, very enamored with it. And uh, Ramin Jawadi might be one of the most like underappreciated composers working in the industry right now, at least of, at least of his stature, because like everyone knows his work in some capacity from something. Mm. But he's not someone that gets a lot of like highlights like Michael Giacchino gets more recognition for his stuff, I find, than like maybe he's acceptable. <laughs> IMO but um whatever like i mean he he's he's got emmy nominations in the bag for this he he's got if he doesn't then you know awards are even more of a sham than they already <laughs> than i already think they are so i didn't know he, he he deserves credit he worked on system shock 2 what excuse me ramin jawadi he says he's credited he composed the music he's credited as an audio technician but he like composed co-composed the music for system shock 2 wow that's a video game for those of that's you who don't know. crazy yeah yes that if, if you i sometimes i forget that we're uh not speaking to entire an entire gamer audience <laughs> thank god we're not talking to an entire a, gamer audience oh my god <laughs> hey, hey I, as a proud gamer oh, oh i i take god. offense to that <laughs> you're killing me um, <laughs> um no but yeah like it's a classic uh, video game, though, like a very well-known. Oh yeah, so. he did the music for Pacific Rim. Like he's he's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best movie ever made, and a great score. Like a, a score that the main theme of that movie is just like instantly iconic in that way. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've still not seen Pacific Rim. I should probably do that. At some point. Oh, you should. <laughs> How? <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of shocking, actually. Yeah, that I feel like that would be like right up your alley. I mean, it, it, it really it's entirely be. possible it would be. Um, my, I think my mom and sister saw it and they really liked it, so um, that's definitely a thing. Uh, I just I've never been able to see it myself. Um, but now I have yet another reason to go and see it. So there you go. Um, yeah, I. You know what? Uh, aside from. The one thing I wanted to say about Beric Dondarrion dying is he dies in a cross thing. Which yeah, was what was really what was up with that? Um, <laughs> what was going on there? Yeah. Speaking, yeah, speaking of Zack Snyder, um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, he doesn't quite die in that. There's a lot of like shots of him where I was like, oh, he's dead. Oh, he's not dead. Oh, he's dead now. And then he's not dead. And it's like, oh, he's somehow now they're helping him into the room, the locked room, so he can die there. Um, which I thought was really strange, but but one of these shots is of him sort of in a cross pose, hanging in between like a in a door frame, like a sort of the archway of the hall. Um, That's a T pose for the gamers out yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was an odd moment. Um, but yeah, I, it is like he's not a. I mean, I guess he does come back to life. Oh yeah. So there's that, but I don't think of him as like a Christ allegory. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, John is the Christ allegory, if anyone is. Certainly, yes. Um, so it's weird to give that moment to Beric. Yeah, also, yes. Um, 
John, don't you mean Rhaegar or, or, or Aegon or whatever his name is? Aegon. <laughs> Are they going to really start calling him that by the end of the show? There's no way. That would be so funny. <laughs> like, no, listen, it's I, it's like um, it's like the edgy teen. It's like, no, I go by Aegon. <laughs> Mom, why aren't you calling me Aegon? Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't that's that's the whole episode. So okay, so um, did, so we we talked a lot about the we didn't actually say uh Diego, I think you said you you liked the episode, but let's go through it. Diego, what did you start? Did you like the episode overall? Was it something you and you enjoyed? Are you do you have any predictions for the rest of the season and then we'll, we'll sort of go around. Uh I also I just want to really quick also bring up the Melisandre finale cuz again oh, yeah. the character is kind of like, none of this stuff that happens in this episode tracks as, like, a culmination of things. But I found the images very potent. And her final moments walking out as the sunrise and just, like, falling apart as she gave in. Because, like, her, her destiny was fulfilled right. or whatever. It's all nonsense. But the, <laughs> the image was so, like, profound to me. I was just yeah. like, man, that was... That's the shit right there. Where was this, like, the last couple of years? But, uh, well, yeah, I can tell you where I, it was. I did. It was in a little film from the early 2000s called Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> oh, my <Yeah>. God! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Jay's hyperventilating right now. Holy shit! We're through the looking glass. But you know what I'm talking about? There's a scene where the the, yes. the dude, like, walks out into, like, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. the sandstorm thing and dies. He, like, puts his little things down, his little, um finger cone things on a little <laughs> shelf and walks out and uh, dies and that was a scene that happened and I was, that's what I was thinking of when I watched it that's inc- what an what an incredible play <laughs> wow <laughs> so I confession is that uh, in my house Chronicles of Riddick was a very popular film that we watched a lot so I've seen it many times not in many years as but. it should have been <laughs> I like Chronicles of Riddick oh yeah I thought it was incredibly no, there, enjoyable there's something about Chronicles of Riddick where it's just making its way through pop culture because in Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> wait <laughs> whoa wait what I forget if it's Fifty Shades of Grey or Fifty Shades Darker where the Mr. Gray character has a poster framed of Chronicles of Riddick. No! Are you kidding me? Yes. It's real. And it's fantastic. What is happening? I have to see these movies immediately. That is astonishing. Oh, you don't even know. It's a framed poster for Chronicles of Riddick. I think Chronicles of Riddick is secretly like a nexus of pop culture. (laughs) And we're only scratching the surface. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Everything takes place in the Chronicles of Riddick universe. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, I like the episode a lot, <laughs> even really... with all the problems. <laughs> yeah, I like that shot of, of Melisandre. I, I like that it's it's all in this in this real wide, this long shot. It's not the, the, this effect doesn't. It's not this close up on her as she like turns old and crumbles to dust in this big CG. Like this really garish CG moment. It's it's all just from afar, and I think that's you know, again the mark of the mark of a good director. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think the problems with this episode aren't things that Spochnik really had control over, and what he did have control over, he did well. So, um, and also, I'm this is going to expose my lack of filmmaking knowledge on the production side of things. Like, how much did Miguel Spochnik direct? 
like the dragons fighting in the air scene. Right? That is like how an can interesting you, there's nothing there's nothing about that that's real. So well, it and, depends how much they work hand in hand with the right, VFX exactly. stuff because TV yeah. is such a faster pace than like even big budget movies. Even though the turnaround on those is like way too fucking short. Um, if if he's like giving notes at least, then I don't know. That doesn't really count. But I I I'd have to like I think we'd have to look into yeah, that. Yeah, it's just like see how much they work. You know with what that. I mean? Because it's just like you know the scenes where I thought like it was kind of weird. But like you know, I, I you have no idea how much you know input he has on that. All the shots where he could shoot humans, he didn't you know what he could do with it. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I thought it was yeah, I thought it was a solid episode. Um, I did come out of it going that I I, I think I liked last week more. <laughs> just, Whoa, just, interesting. Just because I was like, I mean, there were scenes I really liked here, and there were scenes that were like, what? But last episode had me forgetting about all of that. Right, if you had me like this episode, I knew, and I said last last uh, last week, I was like, we're gonna have to confront the realities of what the show has set up, and mm. um, that's what's gonna happen next episode. Whereas last week, we were like, oh, it's okay, we can just chill out and enjoy um, the uh, you know the the like calm before the storm, and we can sort of forget about all that stuff, and we can just sort of think about the show as a whole instead of think about the logistics of how do you defeat the Night King, and is the show really going to pivot away from the white walkers um right but here we were like no you have to face this fact so for me like in that sense um obviously it was cool to see a big epic battle and all that stuff but um yeah and i don't and i still would take sapochnik over nutter by the way that's no question in terms of the direction absolutely Um, but yeah just in terms of like how i felt coming out of it this episode i was like yeah okay you know See, I felt yeah. like I don't remember the last time I felt this good about Game of Thrones. Maybe the season six finale because Sapochnik did the last two episodes <laughs> of that season two, uh, but even before that, it was like a long time, uh, like season four probably. And just like there, I because I, again, I've just completely given up on the writing, uh, the direction of the series, even the characters to a certain extent. Although I found myself caring about even people like Dolores Ed, who like. Yeah. So minor, you know. I, I was just like, oh man, it's the last time we're gonna see these people. That's too bad. Yeah. Uh but there are just images in this that are just I think are gonna stand the test of time and might even be like iconic, like the the the, de- the dragons dancing in the moonlight against each other almost. Uh when when they're above the clouds was really nice. Um and I don't know, I I, I love this episode and I'm totally cool with just letting this be it for me in terms of quality. I'm ready to let go of Game of Thrones completely, even though it's exposed every single one of its long-term planning problems <laughs> from the Davids. Uh, I I feel good about it. I'm honestly, I, I think I'm in the exact same place as you. Like, I didn't expect that Game of Thrones would give me that moment of just elation that it did. And the fact that it did makes me comfortable. It makes me a lot more comfortable with the surefire disaster that is to come over the next three weeks um like i i feel at i feel at peace i feel calm and and ready to take on whatever is is coming down the pipe is that because you feel like this was your finale um kind of i guess like i would be i would be comfortable if this was the last episode obviously there's a lot of hanging threads but i would be totally like you know what 
Like I, I feel like I, I feel like Game of Thrones has given all it is ever going to give to me at this point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like probably the same about that. Like just that's it. I can close the book on this chapter, and then oh, there's a couple more pages. It's like an okay, right, I guess yeah. I don't need yeah. these, but they're there. It's like the end of the, you know, I don't know if anyone knows how the series, the dark tower ends, but it ends with this moment where he's, um, Stephen King basically says, all right, now I know you all want to know what's inside the dark tower, but I think you should just be satisfied with the end of the journey that he got there. So I don't, I'm not going to tell you not to read it, but I'm just going to strongly suggest that you don't have to read this last chapter where he's inside the dark tower. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course you you of course you go on and read it but it's this hilarious moment of like are you really like what are you doing <laughs> obviously i'm gonna read the end of the book why are you telling me not to read the end of the book but this is in a case where it's kind of like all right yeah like i i i don't you know obviously we're gonna keep doing the podcast but i feel like i don't have to know how this show ends well there you go there's a roaring endorsement um <laughs> cool uh yeah well here there you have it and then for me i mean like i said i, I like the episode um well enough and, and certainly i was uh I, I certainly didn't dislike it it was no it was no uh episode one um but uh yeah so uh and then for what's gonna happen next i have no idea i just i envision it being extremely uh distressing that's how i'm that's my prediction. <laughs> I'm going to be very distressed. Yeah, I think they are going to do yeah. a scene where, you know, John's going to sacrifice Danny and become Green Girl High. And, uh, I, I don't know. There's any number of things that could happen. I just, I can't see any of it being particularly interesting or um, uh, not super messed up. I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know how the suspense is going to work. Like, there's a baby in play with Cersei, and I just, I just think it's going to be bad. That's my prediction. I don't know what, but you're not excited for more scenes with Euron Greyjoy. Uh, oh boy! <laughs> Speaking of oh butchered boy. characters from the books, we have, we'll talk about it presumably when he shows up next week. I can't wait to tell you what Euron is like in the books because the show version of him is a massacre. Well, we've talked about it a bit that he's sort of an amalgam of the different characters. Yeah, but if he is, oh man, Euron in the books is incredible, and they have done him dirty. Oh, he's. He was someone I was looking forward to seeing, and now I'm like, all right, no, it's okay. He's like a dark wizard. He's like, a, he's like a creep. He's like literally an insane person who does evil magic. He's he's it's he's wild. He has blue lips. Like what? Euron is crazy in the books. Well, uh, that's pretty much what he's like in the show. So, <laughs> and in the show, he's just like in the show, he's just like like a guy who you who yells too loud at a baseball game. That's oh wow, that is show. scarily accurate. <laughs> I don't know that, that that image just occurred to me. It's like the guy you see <laughs> at the sporting event who's just you're sitting a couple seats away from him, and you're like, "All right, take your, we're all at the game. We get it. Take it down a notch." That is, uh, yeah, I could see that. that that's your on. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Do you want to? You want to do the, the 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 farewells, Jay? Sure. All right. Well, this has been Stark Contrast. Thank you for listening. You can find uh, our podcast at moviefail.com or you can search Movie Fail Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or whatever your podcatcher is, your app, Overcast, whatever. Um, 
Diego, thank you so much for joining us. This is this is a blast. Uh, if you have anything you want to plug, uh, now is the time to do it. Yeah. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank you, Jay, and you, Soren, for having me on because uh, this was a lot of fun, and I wish you both a lot of luck <laughs> during the next couple <laughs> weeks. Uh, may may whatever higher power in in Westeros uh, exists be with you. <laughs> Uh, so I got my own podcast, The Waffle Press, with which uh, both Jay and Soren have been on. Uh, and you can find a lot of stuff I'm doing over there. At this time, I'm making my way through the Batman film series, all of them. And it's actually going pretty well. Most of them are not great, but I like them all anyways. <laughs> so go, you should go check that out. And also, again, me on Twitter at the Diego Crespo. And did you, did you start with like uh, like the 60s Batman or did you go jump? Yeah, we started with Batman '66, which nice. is which might be a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, and totally. then yeah, yeah, we're we're making our way through Nolan right now. Very so. cool. Godspeed. Godspeed. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, catch uh, all you listeners next week.